Hey everybody, welcome to Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 261. Um, we have, uh, it's almost hard to believe it. we've gotten up to that number. It's been a lot of great episodes lately and we're continuing on with our theme lately of uh, uh, awesome women uh, cultivators. And uh, tonight we have Season George uh, on with us from Five Sisters Farms. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for inviting me, Steve. It's nice to connect with you again. It's been a while. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll talk about all the awesome stuff that Season does here in a second. Um, she helps put on, not only uh, is a member of Five Sisters Farms and grows a ton of awesome cannabis, um, she also helps us out quite a bit out at the Regen Conference out there. Uh, and Humboldt and helps make that happen quite a bit. So uh, we'll definitely talk about a whole bunch of great stuff. Um, before we get started, I do want to mention a couple of things. First off, if you want a uh, long form format um, education in aquaponic cannabis, uh, go check out apmjclass.com. Uh, Marty and I have put quite a few hundred hours of uh, educational content on there. Uh, we have tons of different topics. We're constantly adding new content to it every week or two. Um, so be checking that out. Uh, we have construction stuff, comparison grows, uh, side-by-sides, um, commercial uh, build-outs, uh, root systems, ferments, um, pest control guides, uh, all different types of stuff to help make it easy for you if you're growing on a, on a larger scale or wanting to you know, possibly consider growing in a larger scale in aquaponics. Cannabis or just want to really step up your home game. Um, it's kind of like a much more interactive than a, than a book is. Uh, and then we also have live sessions each month as well. So if you don't understand something or you want a better explanation, um, you know, ask us in person and we're happy to, if we can't do it then, we'll usually what we'll do is we'll build out a new section or some new slides or video uh, to try and answer that question for you in, a, in the best we can. So uh, check that out. And then also check out, we have the upcoming uh, virtual aquaponic cannabis conference, uh, November 13th and 14th. We get that thrown up here on the screen for you guys. Um, we have uh, a whole awesome list of guest speakers uh, from South Africa, Switzerland, Sweden, uh, Canada, um, a bunch of awesome regenerative speakers, uh, a couple of soil speakers to talk about the soil layer and dual root zone or living soil. Um, it's not strictly aquaponic geared. You know, we're trying to include uh, a lot of living soil uh, talks as well. Um, so, uh, because they're equally as important and, and really kind of allies in the in the grow world uh, and, and the most similar because of the heavy reliance on microbials and how much they stimulate the, the terpene production and all the wonderful secondary metabolites that we get with both grow methods. Um, so uh, people from, again, South Africa, Vietnam and, and, all, and Australia, uh, all over the world um, uh, coming together to, to talk about this. We have 28 hours, yeah, 28 hours of content in one weekend. So definitely check that out for free. Uh, on YouTube, uh, right in the comfort of your own home. All right, um, thanks a lot for joining us tonight, uh, Season. Um, you have a, a really wonderful farm there up in uh, in Humboldt. Uh, let me put uh, got some pictures here. Make sure I pull up the right slide up. Um, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and uh, and some of the awesome stuff that you've been up to as far as uh, you know, really uh, setting the example there in in Southern Humboldt. 
So my name is Susan George. I'm a second generation horticulturalist. I come from an ornamental horticulture family and um, I've been growing here in Southern Humboldt for 15 years now. And I um, own Five Sisters Farm. We are on the Highway 101 and um, I host workshops and camping through hip camp and try to do some um, educational outreach and consumer outreach about our little, our, our small farms in the area. So I try to be a, a cultural hub where people can stop and kind of see what a regenerative farm looks like, be able to know the vocabulary to engage with bud tenders, know the certifications to ask for with bud tenders. So we have a, a stronger representation in the market. Um, because there are people, you know, through this outreach, I've discovered that more people than I think what the industry counts on do want to know how to find sustainably or ethically grown cannabis. And they just don't know the brands and really the bun tenders don't know the brands <laughs> and they don't, you know, there's not a lot of engagement on finding and promoting those brands, you know, and it's, it's really up to us as the brand owners to promote ourselves and to educate the consumer. We can't rely on distribution or bud tenders to do that job for us. So it's been, you know, it's been really fun having that aspect of the farm because it's kind of been rough, <laughs> a little rough these last year. And I get a lot of upliftment, you know, from really novice people or, you know, people outside the cannabis industry that are still very, 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 you know, in this like wonderment stage of cannabis. And it's really nice to be able to be a holistic guide to that. You know, it's been fun. So I have, it's really, it's this very small permit. It's 2,500 square feet. And so, you know, that's another reason why I diversified my space to offer these ancillary businesses and kind of combine that with a consumer education um, component. And it's been working really well. You know, I got a grant through Humboldt County, the trellis program um, to build out more facilities for this workshop space, like an ADA bathroom, a um, commercial kitchen and packaging area. And I have this 20, oh, I guess it's a 4,000 square foot barn that is a permitted building that I can do all this stuff in. And it's just, it's been a lot for me to take on with compliance to add these other things, but I feel like it's been the thing that really inspires me to keep going. So it's been really important in the whole aspect of just launching my brand and getting established. Well, what are some of the different challenges that you've seen this year in, in Humboldt maybe versus some other years? I know it's been kind of almost an historic drought year uh, on top of many other challenges this year in particular. Yeah, I mean, always the fires are a huge issue. I'm really lucky to live on the highway, so I'm not in great risk of like, you know, wildfires, but we definitely see our communities impacted by that. And even if they're not, you know, directly affected by a fire on their property, it's still an issue of whether that if there's an evacuation order, they can't get to their properties to maintain the plants. And it's really discouraging because there's other like cattlemen who can get the the permission and, and, and Humboldt County did end up giving cultivators a pass to be able to get to their farms but it wasn't always the easiest and so you know even if your farm's not directly burned <laughs> there's a lot of factors that set 
with the wildfires. And that's, you know, it's, it's frustrating because we are trying to do everything, you know, most of us are very environmentally conscious and we are super impacted, you know, by these wildfires that are caused really by decisions of other people, <laughs> you know, like just, so it's the wildfires has, has been like the overbearing. And then of course the prices, but that's, I think people were probably, you can prepare for that. Can't, you can't really prepare that much for fires. So I think that's our biggest challenge right now this year, other than um, just the prices. So on the topic <laughs> of fires, you're working on a relief uh, with a relief group. Do you want to talk about that? You're mentioning that before the show. Yeah, I, I'm working with the Humboldt Grace Foundation, and she has uh, Grace has uh, her name's um, Lele. Actually, she has collected a bunch of um, donations art art pieces different stays at inns i donated a weekend stay at my farm in the glamp tent and um we're you know auctioning that off tomorrow actually you can find the link on in my instagram where auction the the auction starts tomorrow and um there's just a lot to choose from there and that would be a great way to kind of support the the families that have been displaced or impacted by the fires you know we we really this community is pretty good about supporting each other you know in these times where it's starting to get more dire we it's interesting how some people say like it's it's too stressful i can't you know i can't give right now but and i feel like those are the times when we need to give most and um you know we have to think, I have to think about like, yeah, I'm going through a lot of stress, but at least I have a farm, <laughs> you know, and my farm isn't burning or I was able to access my plants the year before I did have to evacuate and do some like very quick thinking and protect my plants. Cause I'm fully outdoor. I don't have, you know, covers and hoops. So there was, I had to protect my plants from falling ash, things like that. So, I mean, I just think I'm so grateful to be safe and to have, a farm and if i can bring some relief to another family who lost everything you know like that there's nothing more stressful than that you know so when she asked me um to contribute i did not hesitate for one second i knew you know it i think it's let me it's probably like a 300 value and that's nothing you know i didn't even put a time like a what day limit i was just like whenever they want to come i'm so happy to support i just feel so grateful to be in a position to be able to support and give you know gratitude is a major go ahead i was gonna say it's great and and last year was so devastating to so many farmers you know in the community and this year too really but was. especially last year yeah. So we just, you know, I think it's really important to remember to stick together and, and take care of each other when we can. So other than that, it's just been pretty, you know, I'm super lucky that I'm one of the brands that I'm like sole, I, I own it. I cultivate it. I package it. I, you know, like I'm a one woman show my, and so I feel like 
I'm, there's not very many examples of, you know, that type of craft anymore. And I'm lucky that I was able to like have the foresight to go small rather than try to compete with, with the changes of big ag that's, you know, coming in and I'm able, I feel like because of that, I'm going to be able to eat by <laughs> people are, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of decision-making for me as far as if I should really keep investing more and with this grant, you know, investing more in infrastructure, all this stuff and in times where it's like, we really aren't making any money and they say it's only going to get worse. I have to find, I have to look for little bright points and I have to find like mine, those, those moments of inspiration to keep me going because I've always said like, if we want there to be a market for craft cannabis, we have to keep producing it. So if all of us are like, ah, oh, it's too much. And we are, we all bailed and there, there will be no <laughs> legacy farms or craft. And then they would have won so quickly, you know? So for me, I'm just really reeling in the reins and staying really small and very frugal and trying to turn all these um, opportunities of the ancillary business into something that can be good used for good for all of us in the area and not just me because I know I have this advantage of my location so I'm trying to really you know pay it forward and lift everyone up I hope I can be an example of that for other people so speaking of setting the example not only are you done pure certified but you're also uh, uh soon to be getting some other ones you want to uh, some of the awesome regenerative and, and uh, sustainable, uh, um, uh, you know, practices that you're doing on your farm and the different certifications that you've uh, you've gotten because you really have some of the most that I've seen and really do have a, a wonderful polyculture uh, cannabis farm that really is kind of setting an example on that. I and mean, it's a great way that you can come and stay at your farm and learn and see firsthand what's going on. I think it's it's one of the best ways to teach people. It really is because I've definitely, people need to experience it to have like buy-in and letting someone sit with the plant or it's, it's hard to explain a whole ecosystem, but when people can see and feel the difference, then, then it makes an impression on them. And for me, you know, I did design, I had this foresight um, in the beginning of the development of this farm. This was just my home before I, I developed other farms and we've since sold them. And this was just a home for me. And I, and I had like a tiny little light depth forever, but it wasn't my main cultivation space. And so when I realized that I was shifting everything, I knew that I wanted to to design the space to host people. And so my little garden has an aesthetic and, and a functional design to, for weddings, for, um, different gatherings there's a big open space in the middle of it and most people are like why didn't you plant 50 more plants right here <laughs> and i'm like the value of you know diversifying the usage of the space is what is what makes me different and when people come on i work with humboldt cannabis tours and when people come to the farm they're like wow i just came from like five different greenhouses and they were all kind of the same and they all they everybody talks about the hum of the fans but I'm right on the highway and it's like, they don't, because it's like a feast for their eyes. They don't, the, the, the sound of the highway doesn't affect them. And they're like, Oh, you know, like, like being in a greenhouse doesn't feel the same as being in a garden. And so for, to inspire people about living soil or to inspire people about, you know, what craft cannabis is, they have to 
it, it, it affects all the senses. So, you know, we can tell them like, oh, this is, it's better for the environment. And it has more terpenes, the cannabinoid profile. But if like when they come and they see like, and people do a wonderful job in hoop houses and greenhouses. I'm not, I'm not knocking that and everybody has their method, but it is really freeing something about like seeing plants not wrapped in wire cages and like in plastic or, you know, these plants are like open to the end, like blowing in the wind and people like that you know they, they can they tell me it's different they're like wow like this is it. i'm i'm the last stop on the tour usually because i'm on the county line and so they're like when they get there they this is the place they have lunch this then they're just like oh my god it's like a it's like a shangri-la experience and and it's amazing to see adults have that little look of wonderment of like christmas morning like a child on their face you know like for me to witness that is an honor for one thing and to, you know, be a part of that memory and make, you know, that that's, I 100% get like brand buy-in, you know, just by opening my space and it forever, because I'm on the highway, people were like, how are you going to keep people out? And, you know, I, I'm instead of living and, you know, having like trying to fortify my place and keep people out, I was like, I'm just going to invite people in and it's really worked. So, you know, I want, I it's a nice example of like radical kindness of just being open and inviting and loving and kind. And we laugh, we have, I mean, it's not, our tours are pretty loose and I, I get to tell them vocabulary, like living mulch, you know, what a polyculture is, what a companion plant is. I talked about mycorrhizae. We look at fungal hyphae, you know, it's like we're in there. We, I get them in the dirt. I try to always feed them something right out of the garden. I always plant some, some gold tomatoes because most people like eat a cherry tomato off the vine, like no problem. But that's like my own little secret way to like get that biome into their body. <laughs> like taste this, you know, I have, I, at one end of the garden, I have a terpene where it's like pineapple sage, a bunch of different basils, it's some um, different mints, all these different mints. And I, and I try to tell people like terpenes don't just exist in cannabis, you know, it didn't start here. They're everywhere in aromatherapy and the, and the sense of smell to memories, like it's all in our body, you know, it awakens the senses. And so to give people a garden to go play in and just like run around and smell stuff. And it's like, the cannabis almost takes a back seat to that experience. Like the cannabis is like in the backdrop, but it's not just about like, oh, let's, you know, what's the coolest weed strain you're growing? <laughs> you know, Like it, it turns into so much more. And um, when I, you know, when they leave, I try to say like, how it looks, okay, so, you know, how are you going to ask through your bud tinder? And I point, I have a sign of my dragonfly earth medicine certification and, I, and with the sun and earth, that's new and for me and but i have said it for a long time you know these are the two certifications you can ask for and i was actually recruited by what is it it's regenerative agriculture alternative agriculture fund regenerative alternative agriculture fund of it's a nonprofit in humble and they also won a trellis grant to to cover the cost of the sun and earth certification um program and so she said i think you're a good candidate you know um fill out the application and so i got that that 
this year, this past year, I actually, it was amazing. I got a $50,000 grant. I got a $10,000 grant and I got, she said it was like a $3,000 value for me to get this um, certification covered. And, uh, you know, I have to be careful and speaking too much about that within my community because it's so everybody's so pained right now it's like people get really salty when i'm like oh well i want a grant <laughs> you know and i try to say like it's out there for everybody but i do like like i said like the 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 staying in the vibration of gratitude you know and just it's amazing like i there are moments where like this where i feel like i think people need to hear a positive story in right now and like let me i'm just so grateful i can be somewhat of an example of that, you know? Um, so I'm really excited about the sun and earth thing. It was a, it was a little more stringent than it was hard for me to get the dim pure people to come and inspect me. But I knew that I, you know, the, those peers, they know me, they know what I do in the community. And so it was just, a, it took a while for them to, for me to get the inspection. But once I got the dim pure thing, I was like in and we're doing, you know, it's been fun to hang with and have this like family type dynamic and support each other. But with the sun and earth, I feel like they have a more directed marketing. I don't know. And maybe, you know, it, that's the difference between a free certification and one you pay for. I haven't really experienced what it's like to be um, sun and earth certified yet, but I have the, the process of being certified was much more stringent. They actually took a soil test, a, a, a soil sample to test to make sure that you're, you don't have pesticides or heavy metals in your soil. So that's, you know, like that's, I thought that was, it was just a little more formal. And I, the lady who came out to um, do the inspection, she's like, if, like has a master's, she's like a physicist. She's like super, super smart and like totally. And she was laughing. She's like, a lot of times people are trying to like schmooze me over on their thing. And she's like, you can't, like, I know all about soil science. You know, she was like, I can't, like, you can't schmooze me. And she was like, she loved, she, she had so much fun with me that day. We took pictures and I feel like I'm in, but it is a little bit like, you know, I haven't felt like, oh my God, am I going to make it in a long time? Like, I hope I'm accepted, but I mean, I, there's nothing I can do. I just show my piece and they can accept me or not, but, but I'm just happy that I got my application covered for free because then it's no skin off my back. If I don't make it, I don't see why I wouldn't, but there's always that chance that they're like, you live on the highway and we found something in your dirt. I mean, that's, I'm like paranoid about that right now. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, what, what does living near the highway? Could that do something? You know, I'm just, Oh yeah, you get so. you can get higher cadmium levels in particular from the uh, uh, the big <laughs> See, there is some. I mean, I figured that there might be a risk, well, but be that fair, would be I, you know. I've had that issue where I've considered that a problem, and every time I've tested that in Oklahoma, we've we've come back with everything being you know perfectly fine. So we haven't had that an issue, but I have heard of that being you know an issue in other places. Well, I think about how they like use, you know, mushrooms to clean up stuff, you know, like um, contamination, right? And I'm think I just like I said earlier, when we peel back, you know, the the mulch, you can see like large. I'm I'm just like I'm like looking at my soil and my and my mulch pile. I'm like, you, I hope you got my back on this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> please clean this up for me. If there's anything coming off that road, you know, like I'm like 
microbes, you got me, right? <laughs> like I've been feeding you well. So for me, I'm just, you know, all I can do is go through the motions and hope for the best, you know, and that's kind of what it's been like for me for the last few years is like running in the dark, you know, just trying to get through compliance, not really knowing if it's going to be worth it. Everything's changing. And then I just remind myself, I signed up for this. I knew it was going to change. No, it's never going to be as much fun as it was, but I'm just so grateful to be able to you know, bring people in off the highway and be like, Hey, these are the brands you can choose. These are the certifications you can ask for. And, you know, please support your small farmer. And I've been saying, please support your small farmer forever being, you know, in the local food movement in Florida. So it's, for me, it's like, it's like the same, I feel like I'm on the same I don't know, banter of like, you know, big ag is bad. <laughs> support your small farmer and it's you know but it's true that's what we need to do it's simple it's that simple and uh, are there a way for people go ahead i was gonna say uh, i just wanted to give a quick hello to fumador for joining us hi Here's everybody how you doing fumador. uh sorry i'm late uh, nice to meet you season george cheers you, doing? Hi. <laughs> you, you got oh. any questions for me uh, oh, yeah, I just got here, so I don't want to step on the conversation. I, I probably will, but I, I don't want to jump in like a you know big old foot. So I'll just I'll let you guys talk. Okay. Cheers. Um, so what different types of regenerative practices are you utilizing, uh, you know, regularly at your farm? You know, you've had a chance to try and you know, actually learn from lots of different methodologies, uh, especially being there in the community. Uh, you get exposed to lots of different awesome uh, uh, teachers there. And what are you utilizing there as a kind of, a, like you said, a one woman farm? What are you finding that's working really well for you there uh, in terms of the regenerative practices? Uh, it seems like most of the longer term farmers are using kind of a hybridization of a bunch of different things. Um, what have you found that, that works best for you? So for one thing, I grow about 60% of my cultivation spaces, the Hugo culture mounds. You know, that was like the biggest one um and then i have my manure sources on site which are my chickens and my little bunny <laughs> which is like awesome i'm doing a lot of horsetail tea and labs are like my number one thing that i go to um and that you know the the tour guides like season you don't ha you hardly have any mold like how are you out here and out in the open no fans or anything and then you don't have any mold and i'm like got to be those labs, you know, I'm lucky to have kind of an intuitive uh, horticulture background coming from a horticulture family and this being my only job. And um, so I'm crafting my, my inputs. I'm, I do some KNF, not a whole lot, but I, I have a ton of blackberries around. So I do the blackberry tips, like in the springtime is when I'm all about it. Like towards the fall, I'm like kind of petering out and just focusing on <laughs> harvest. Um, I, I do rain catchment off my barn. So the cannabis is uh, watered with the rain catchment. Um, what else? I save my seeds. I do polyculture. I cover crop. I don't till um let's see i'm trying to think of like all my my original closed loops i make my own compost which is fun i'm about to buy a big chipper like that's going to totally change my game right now <laughs> um i get the i get tons of wood chips from like off the side of the road 
I don't know if that's not really regenerative, but that's a that's a byproduct of our fuel reduction of Caltrans. And they just like dump these huge piles of chips. And I happen to have a really safe spot like a, that I go to. It's like off the highway behind a berm. And I'm just able to get truckload after truckload into my truck and disperse those. So tell us, um, um, you were talking about labs. Um, tell us about how you're utilizing labs on your farm. You talked about foliar. I know a lot of people like it as a foliar. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing for application with that uh, on that end? Sure. I mean, for me, it's foliar and the, and I move away and I do, I do add like a tiny bit in my tea at times. There has been times if I have a problem where I, like at one point I lost a plant, it was just like complete wilt down. And even though I found that there was like a little bit of like the stem was compromised. It could have got cracked by a dog. I don't know. There was definitely like a stem problem, but after that, I'm like, I'm drenching this with the labs. You know, I used to drench with like freaking Zeratol, you know, <laughs> that, that was like opposite. So for me, it's like, I, I don't, I don't try to, I, everything I do is so minimal. You know, I have this really nice ecosystem that I don't have to do a lot. And it's really as an as needed thing. And because I'm a one person, I don't have a staff to be like, I need you to spray labs every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, every morning, you know, it's like, it's when I can find time to do it. And I think that, that, you know, it works for me. And I don't know how, the, a lot of times that people do ask me, like, explain it, explain to me how you're doing this. And I'm like, man, I wish I could, <laughs> you know, the labs is like, yeah, I make them I on agree. the counter. I may only have to make a bat, one batch the entire time because it's so small and I use so minimal. And at the end of the year, I end up throwing like a, you know, a jar of it out of my refrigerator. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to save this. And I just make more. Like I, I said, agree, Steve, too. I'm not that about it. <laughs> uh, I, I your mind. <laughs> lab, labs, you know, the, the organic treatment fuck it button really is, uh, you know, or for fungal infection is labs and then a, a good IMO application afterwards. And it really does work great for things like septoria, root rot, uh, a whole wide range of different issues. And then foliarly as well, the labs don't use IMO, especially later on in, uh, for foliar, but certainly um, the, uh, the labs for foliar works super kick-ass for especially preventing things like cucumbers and, and uh, other wide leaf crops as well, and not just cannabis. Really? For you mean for powdery mildew? Yep. And, and then we've what? also found uh, in aquaponics it'll actually eliminate things like E. coli. We've had non-human pathogenic E. coli uh, systems test positive, which is a food safety. Added, we have to treat that. You know, for, and then uh, with labs treatments, after two weeks, we're able to eliminate it entirely from the system. So, um, and that you know, no other treatment other than that. So, and it works extremely well for for eliminating that from even uh, live systems without having to bring them offline. I will also like, if I have some leftover in my little sprayer, I'll go spray it around the chicken coop or around my rabbit, you know, pen. It's like, if I'll spray, you know, it's for me, I love to have a product that I'm like, oh, I don't have to worry about how to dispose this. I can just continue to spray it everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's like before, you know, 
uh, with a pesticide, you know, I've had, I've got done conventional horticulture. I've had a pesticide applicator's license and it like disposal is so critical. And it's like, it's, it's, it's I feel so free from all of that in, in adopting this. And I just feel like, man, I'm lucky I was able to get out of that and didn't stay in, in that type of production, you know, although it was massive scale, I, I, I feel so good to be so small and so whimsical about it. You know, like it's, it's really, I feel so lucky to not have to do those regimes anymore. Oh yeah. And not only that, but it's just, uh, you can take the cheese off of your labs and feed it to your dogs or cats or chickens or fish to, for extra protein. It helps them, it has vitamin B in it, so it's good for their health. So you're kind of able to kind of support more of the different things. So um, you, you, I was just noticing you have a ton of pictures of different um, plants with your, your crops when I was doing research for this episode. Um, tell us about some of the wonderful companion plants that you found. Uh, and then maybe some of the enemy plants, plants that were like, man, I will never plant that in my cannabis garden again. I think those are just as so, important to be aware of. Yeah. In in the early on of my Hugel mounds, I had so much of the like perennial arugula everywhere. And it um, really, it was like such a beautiful, thick, living mulch. I could eat it. it. The bees loved it. You know, it was like it, it, it reseeded. I didn't have to do anything. And I was like, man, this is rad. And then I would also plant, I, there's one, uh, one post where I could see that the kale was acting as a, tra as a trap plant, right? It was like all the aphids on that and all those aphids were mummified. And I was like, cool, this is bringing in the beneficial insects. And I'm happy that they're feasting on this kale and not on my cannabis. <laughs> so that's cool. And, but then I did notice like where my, it's like real patches of kale where these plants were small and the, the kale would get, it was like the dinosaur kale. So it would get like a hard thick trunk and it would be like three feet tall. And, you know, I'm like, I'd, I'd pull it out and I'm like, these have like hardly their shallow roots for comparison to like how thick that stock is. And I started just noticing like things aren't really growing as well around the kale. And so I was talking with Efren and he said, oh yeah, brassicas like don't host mycorrhizae and so if they don't host it then they're not carrying it over and and he at that time was like linum flax um the plant linum is flax that and rudbeckia he said and so man i started planting the linum and the rudbeckia all over. And the Rebecca is a, is the perennial that will come back and, you know, I can dig it up and divide it and keep planting it. But the more we spoke about it, it's all Asteraceae. It's all like, I have zinnias galore just because zinnia seeds are easy to save. They're a great cut flower. They're, like I said, like I have this aesthetic component to the garden um, in order to inspire people and get people like their, their senses like satiated with their, you know, with their eyes. But it turns out that all of these zinnias I was planting everywhere are like host the same species. And I forget what it is. And we'd have to ask Efren, but same species that the cannabis host. And I'm like, Oh my God, like that was, it was, I was stoked. <laughs> I was like, Oh, it's not just Rebecca. Yet. It's all Asteraceae. So for me, you know, again, I do a lot of things unintentionally with a, a lot of intention. It's like, I want it to be 
you know, it was like, I, I, I planted the zinnias because that's what I had around. Those seeds are easy to have. And it turns out that was the best thing for me to plant <laughs> with along with them. So um, then the other ones I do is thyme. A lot of um, thyme. I like to do the basils. The nasturtiums come back year after year for me at this point. Um, and I, I read from another article that like nasturtiums are terpene increasers. Like a lot of times when I read the scientific background, it, it is bolstering what it is that I'm doing. And I, I feel like because I'm in my garden, my hands are in the dirt, you know, I get to, I get those messages and I act on them intuitively. And it turns out to be exactly what I need to be doing. So, you know, I'm just fortunate. Those companion plants are, um, this year, I, because of the drought, a lot of them are like pretty much waning at this point. Like the, this is the first year that I really saw the cannabis outcompete the companion plants. And I think it's because I had to plant late, um, the cannabis late. And um, I planted, and so I disturbed a lot of the companion plants. And when the cannabis went in, they just like outgrew it and kind of shaded them out. Like this is the first year that I'm like, whoa. And it was also just ultra dry. And I just kind of let a lot of the zinnias kind of brown up by now. But oh well. Next year I still have a lot of seed. You know, there's um, calendula is everywhere. There is the Tajetis limonii, which is like the big um, bush marigold that's always been known as a repellent. And so that's kind of like on the, um, I have a big bush of it on the out, outer berm. Um, there's parsley all over the place just because that just grows every, I mean, for me, it's like things that I don't have to replant, the things that grow there naturally, the things that outcompete the other companion plants that want to stay and that aren't going to totally like, uh, crap, like shade, like shade out everything else. Those are the ones I let stay. Sometimes they get like this year I, or this spring, I took out a ton of parsley because I was like, this parsley is taking over. <laughs> So, and I just took it out. <laughs> Is there any other ones maybe you've tried and you're like, Matt, uh, I'll never grow that again? Or something that was just, maybe th people said was good. But it did. Practiced it wasn't. I don't, I mean, it was really just finding out that you know, observing the brassicas and then realizing, no, that it's true. Like my observation, it was true, you know, I, there's not very many plants that I'm like, I'll never grow you again. <laughs> you know? like, I, just, I don't usually strike plants out, but, and, um, you know, and I, I go, I do go through phases, you know, like this year, I definitely went through like a basil phase where I probably had like a bunch of different basils, but by this time they're like all gone, you know, it's like they've, they've gone to seed my lemon basils all just like, but for me this year, I was probably on a major basil kick. And, you know, they've always said like plant the tomato and the basil together because the basil increases the flavor of the tomato. That's a common old wife, you know, garden myth. And so it's cool to see these garden myths be like reiterated by fat, by science, you know, and I'm like, man, they were right. Well, I know that that's the, just this California, the this, um, one of the forest department or one of the other things, one of the state um, agencies did a study about how, I think it was wild black garlic mustard uh, actually releases stuff to kill mycorrhizal fungi to outcompete local uh, and native plants. 
Um, that was one of the reasons why they wanted you know, one of their justifications for trying to fund eradication. Um, and they had a whole, there's a whole paper on it. Yeah. And so people have often asked me, they're like, well, do brassicas repel mycorrhizae? And I'm like, well, if they don't host it, then it's not going to perpetuate through the soil system. So it's not that they or, you know, I always said it's not that they're repelling it, but they're not encouraging it. But sounds like you found some research that says it does repel. Well, so which I mean, it's, it was, not, it's not all. It was an yeah, it's not all brassicas. There are some brassicas that uh, um, in the uh, if the, you introduce trichoderma to the root zone, they actually will host uh, mycorrhizae. But most brassicas do not, and some brassicas actually will actively kill mycorrhizae. Um, as as you know, there's a whole a couple of different white papers on that uh, with certain species, um, but they happen to be a lot of the wild invasive species on the west coast, unfortunately. Mm. Well, I haven't come across any of that here, so, uh, but I'll keep an eye out. <laughs> so what, uh, what cultivars are you growing? Okay. <laughs> okay, so this year I got some seeds from our friend and they, I should have grown them all. It turned out to be the best plant and it was, it's called Post Malone. <laughs> And I forget that it was like Carl Malone and Testarossa. And I, so I planted a lot of those. I thought like this year I did have some fear-based decisions. I thought I, it was going to hurt me. So I ended up, and I had a lady who wanted to juice. We were like juicing like mad. And so we were like, we're going to juice these and we're going to get some new plants from this other person. And it ended up being, and, and in my mind, I'm like, nobody knows what Post Malone is. I always grow these strains that nobody knows. I don't have a hard time selling them really because people, it's, it's good. But I felt like I better grow something more uh, reputable or something recognizable. And we got a bunch of strains from Humboldt Seed Company, and they were Raspberry Parfait, Vanilla Frosting, The Bling, Venom OG, and I feel like there was one other one, The Bling, Venom, Raspberry, either way. Then somebody else gave me some runs. So this, I was like, I was like, because I ripped out a bunch of plants at the wrong, I mean, I should never have done this. And I'm, I'm totally okay. with was like admitting my mistakes, like saying like, Oh, we're all in a learning process. And so at the end of the, you know, it was like maybe the end of June and I was planting into the first week of July and I ended up with more strains. Somebody gave me runts. So I'm growing runts this year. I'm like, Oh, and another one called Cali black rosé. So that's too many strains for 2,500 square feet. Let me tell you that right now, because that what's made for some small batches and it's just, you know, wasn't what I wanted to do, but it's what I did. And I'm just going to have to live with that decision. <laughs> I wish I would have grown all of those post Malone's. I really do. I should have never, never, ever pulled them out like I did. So big mistake. And, uh, you know, the Humboldt seed strains, they're really, the raspberry parfait is like a, a whole, like a full sativa and the vanilla frosting, you know, it's the, the I, nothing against the genetics that I got. The genetics are fine there. And, you know, they, they, all of them performed, but it was just that I got too many, you know, I was scrambling at the last minute and yeah. 
So I'm growing too many strains and they're all good, but I just have a little bit of each one now. <laughs> so um, is there any um, tips or tricks that you found with either the on the pest control side or nutrient side with different teas or ferments or extracts or different things like that that maybe uh, are less known or maybe uh, you know people might want to find out about that you think uh, people maybe not yeah. be familiar with? Well, maybe, I mean, I know that your listeners are, you yourself are, have a very scientific mind and you're very technical. And so, you know, I appreciate you bringing me on because um, I know your listeners may have, I'm sure, very educated. I don't want to, you know, insult anybody. But one, in the tours that I give, uh, that's the most common question. They want to know what's in my tea and how I'm brewing it and what I'm doing. And I have the number one takeaway that I'm telling people is, you have to empty your tea barrel and you can't, you don't brew it for too long. It's like three to 12 hours. And if I'd go to 12 hours, I'm pretty mad at myself that I've let it brew too long. So I find that I have, you know, the best results and the best microbial activity under the scope, not um, with a three to 12 hour brew. And also part of me, I feel like, is it because when the water comes out, it's cold and I, it's a better, um, cultivation when it's a cold temperature. And then by the time it's in 12 hours in this, in the spring and summer, it's, it's heated up to almost 80 degrees. And I'm thinking maybe that is, and maybe it's not necessarily a time thing, but it's a temperature thing. What do you think, Steve? Well, you certainly up at 80 degrees, you're, you're reducing the deep dissolved oxygen potential. Anything above 71, you're going to start to reduce that. So that's really the 71 is the ideal temperature, 72 if you're trying to get, you know, the best balance. You can get a little bit hotter than that and you'll get some better replication, but you just need to make sure that you're adding extra oxygenation. So maybe adding an extra air stone or two or making sure you I brew in a cone, you know, a plastic like cone that I don't know where I got it from, but anyway, it's up, it's on a nice stand. It's so I, it's gravity fed out and, um, the cone definitely the cone bottom definitely distributes that air better. And there is a stone at the bottom and then there's one like halfway to suspended in the water. So there's like one resting at the bottom and then there's one suspended, um, people are always like, do you add molasses? And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> so that, that seems to be a big, there have been times, this is, again, this is like my intuitive thing where I feel like I had a really good pull and my, and the sock is like, I'll look in and I'm like, oh my gosh, it hardly like there's, I could just tell, like, I could get a second pull out of this. And then that's when I drizzle in, like not even a quarter teaspoon of molasses in there you know, and it's like, got to agitate that stuff. You can put it in water, put it in the, a jar of water and shake the molasses and then pour it in. Cause if you just pour it in, it just sinks to the bottom. So that's, you know, th these are like really simple tips, but definitely I've seen people just like pour molasses and there's like a big puddle of chunky molasses at the bottom that never gets suspended in the water. So in my mind, you got to like dilute it. So it's in the water, <laughs> but again, you know, it's not, that's just in my mind and that might not be relevant, but that's what I do. And it seems to work. And that's the only time I'll ever add molasses. 
and it's a minute amount. And it's if I want to get a second pull out of my, my sock and the main constituents of the, of what I put in my tea bag is the alfalfa bedding and the manure from my rabbit. I will put in worm castings. Sometimes I will put in a, um, hold on. My daughter's asking me something. What? No, I didn't. Um, a big like mat of like, I have all this like fung, like a, a big thick mat of my, in between my mulch and the soil, there's like a thick mat of like spongy, almost decomposed mulch. So sometimes I grab a piece of that and I put it in there. There's times when I'm like, oh, I give my chickens oyster shell. And so I'm like, oh, let me put some oyster shell in here. You know, there's like, it's really, but the main constituent of this tea is the alfalfa and the rabbit manure. I don't ever make tea out of the chicken manure. I only put that in my compost. The only thing I'm brewing is the rabbit. So, and you know, that's just what I do. So it's worm castings. Sometimes some um, comfrey. I have tons of comfrey. Some, and I will brew the horsetail tea separate, and I actually steep that in warm water. It's not, I don't brew that in the cold water with oxygen. I will, the horsetail, I will bring to a boil and then let it steep overnight and then use that one-to-one -one water um, as a foliar feed. And sometimes I put it in the tea. Like, again, if I have stuff that I, like this year, I also juiced a bunch of cannabis. <gasps> oh my God. And my cat, I just had a missing cat for like a week and my daughter just brought her in. I can't believe it. It's a miracle, you guys. <laughs> so, um, with the, the horsetail, like, this year when we juiced all of that cannabis leaf, if I don't drink that juice within like 30 hours, it's to me, it's like not that good. So I was pouring in a lot of cannabis leaf juice into my tea this year too, just cause I would have extra jars around. I'm like I'm putting it this in here. And I'm telling you the tea smells like some of the tourists are like, this smells good enough to drink. And I'm like, that's what your tea should smell. It's like sweet alfalfa, the green, it smell, it, it, it doesn't smell nasty. And people would be like, wow, this smells good enough to drink. People have asked me, do you drink it? I'm like, no, <laughs> but you know, I, I do drink the horsetail tea. The horsetail tea is definitely something I drink. And sometimes I'll have like a little spoonful of labs, not a spoonful, but like, you know, like the spoon, I'll like lick the spoon when I'm done, but it's not like something I'm really in, incorporating into my diet, you know? I find that. But, Labs is best if you put it in a blender with like mangoes and strawberries and blueberries and you blend it all together to make like a smoothie. It tastes a lot better. At least for me personally. I love smoothies and that's what I do with the cannabis leaf juice is I put it in ice cube trays and then make a smoothie out of it later because I can't, I juice more than I can drink. And so you know, when I have a big juicing day, we, we come out with like gallons of it and we store it. It's good stuff. So what are some of the other common questions that you get there from people that haven't uh, seen a garden like yours before? Well, they always want to know, like, how do I dry it on a rack on? Do I hang it? Do I, you know, like people and uh, my garden, this is another valuable thing about the garden is that I feel like when people come here, they're like, oh, I could do this in my backyard. Like it looks like a garden. It looks like a landscape. It's not like a big industrial zone. And I'm, and they're like, oh, I'm going to do it. And I'm like, but 
do you have a dry space? <laughs> like most people are curious, like it's, it's interesting to see, like people are like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can grow this, but what do you do with it afterwards? Like how, you know, so that to me is, you know, a subject that needs to be talked about more, I guess. And I know a lot of people have a different methods, but I'm definitely like, no, don't lay it on a rack. <laughs> definitely want to hang it <laughs> and maybe that you know that's i guess if you were making oil or something it wouldn't matter if you had smash buds but i don't know it seems like a lot of people it's cool to see that people are like oh my gosh yeah i could do this You're like this is pretty i don't think my neighbors would be mad <laughs> you know and then yeah i'm like well are you going to tell your kids to like sleep in the garage or what <laughs> like where are you going to hang it so you know that's the big issue that most people don't think about. They all want to grow the plant, but they don't want to cut it down, hang it, store it, do any of that other part. They just think it like arrives as buds in a bag. <laughs> like, no, it's a lot of work. The growing, the growing part is the fun part. It's the part afterwards that really becomes like work for me. Um, the other ones is like, when I say polyculture, they don't know what that means like they don't like it's interesting they think that you know i'm like this is it you're looking at it it's multiple plants together you know i i there are vocabulary that i say quickly and they I, they come back and polyculture is a word that they don't understand so you know at one really good observation that i found from a group that was visiting they said that the example that increasing diversity eliminated my need for combative um, practices such as like spraying pesticides spraying fungicides like because i have this diverse ecosystem it eliminated the need for you know to to oppress something and they're like this this is an example a microcosm of like what it could be for the world if we were more you know increased diversity and that was like really moving for me you know to and they were like phd college girls that just like they were all celebrating that they just got their phd in something and so they were like really really smart women you know and when they said that back to me i was like thank you for pointing that out because you're absolutely right you know it wasn't something i had contemplated to that level and that to me lets me know like this cannabis sharing this garden you know it does more has more of an impact on more levels than just the science or just the just the um cannabis itself you know and part of these systems that we're encouraging are symbiotic and it's like we it encourages a community of understanding and and like philosophy and we you know we get to discuss other things and it's just and it's like a beautiful coming together and it's the cannabis as the catalyst um it's just been really really beautiful to witness and and facilitate um so uh what are some of the other um uh is there anything that maybe you've tried in your garden people said it worked really well and, and it didn't work out so well over the years uh maybe something that maybe you know different practices that are taught or uh different advice that you you were given and just you're like man that, that wasn't so great well for me i remember i, I i've taken some knf courses and for me when i took the course 
you know, and, and, and I don't want to say one person's wrong or one person right. I'm not endorsing one or the other. I got to be careful on these podcasts, you know, that not to give the wrong impression. But the other class I took, they were more encouraging of like, use what's around you and use like, trust your intuition. And it wasn't all about like, you're, you know, do it by the book and this is the recipe and you don't deviate from this. This is the, this is what's been taught. And to me, like that is an authoritarian philosophy and gardening's not really like that. You know, we, every, for me, I, I do like to encourage people to experiment because that's how we find new discoveries. And so for me, like I said, I've always, you know, when I had those other farms, I was the head cultivator and I had someone who really wasn't that interested. And so I got to do whatever it was I thought needed to be done. And I've, you know, always been in charge of the cultivation in any farm I've ever worked at for cannabis. And so there, I've never really taken the advice of anybody else and said like, I'm going to try that. And I don't think it's going to work. And then it didn't work. I'm usually like pretty much know what I need to do and it works. And I'm just, you know, like I said, you know, ripping out plants when they're already planted and rooted in and established and had like shot up four inches of growth, you know, that was a mistake. And that was because somebody else was like, nobody knows this strain and I want to juice these really healthy plants. It's hard to find plants that aren't sprayed with pesticides. And so when somebody who's like super into juicing, she was like, these are the best leaves I've ever tasted. Like this this is making me feel good. She needed it for health. And so of course I'm like, take it. You need it for your health. You can have it, you know? So, I mean, that, I, I really don't get influenced that much from people and, um, you know, I do encourage that everybody has their own philosophy and that they should do what works for them and adopt that practice because that's if it's working for them and it's easy for them and they enjoy doing it, then that means that they will do it and it won't become a resentment to where they're like, or also a situation where they're like, I'm doing it wrong. I don't think I'm doing it right. You know? So I really appreciate a teacher who um, encourages intuition and to trust yourself, you know, and I, luckily I've been really good about that. And then because of that, I, um, haven't had a lot of those instances where I'm like, man, I should have never taken that advice, you know, and I try not to give too much advice either. You know, like I said, I just, I will let people observe me. And when they ask me like, how is it that you're doing this? Like a lot of times people don't think that able to accomplish what I do because it looks like I'm having so much fun all the time. They're like, what? You get all like, this is just you. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, you seem so relaxed. And I'm like, because I am. (laughs) I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I would love to, if there's any questions that the listeners have, you know, like I, I want to be super useful for you. (laughs) <laughs> I wish I had more. I, I could have maybe prepared uh, a little bit more for this, but I'm, you I think know, everybody's uh, I, I think I everybody's just listening. Yeah. Uh, we were last, uh, I was asking questions. I think, I think they're just listening. I had a couple of stupid questions. Honestly, I was just going to say, uh, well, maybe this is not stupid. You're, you're talking about quite a bit of um, uh, uh, biological diversity in your garden, and everything else. And I was thinking, well, is there any overlap that you do with the uh, wine or beer industry or anything else? Like, you know, probably where you grow, there's tons of different uh, uh, agricultural crops. Like, do you guys interchange ideas and stuff? I don't know. How is that going these days? 
like uh, for example do you talk to winemakers and share ideas about basically a uh, uh, clean green growing or basically like a uh, 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 you know maybe that was a broad question i realize now but because we are in wine country and they do want to compare in this tourism thing they're like we need to be the napa of cannabis mm. and there is you know i i would joke i was like you know wealthy people would be like oh in my winery in their portfolio now they're like oh and i have a cannabis brand now <laughs> so there is some crossover and we should be you know for me i really want to stick with the wellness of cannabis like remember that cannabis is medicine and i i get I get a little uneasy about the recreational market and I get really kind of like resentful about the um, like the merge of the BCC right now and the CDFA, you know, like I was really happy to work with CDFA and I, and I have said it to people like we have to have farmers markets. We are licensed by the same agency that licenses, you know, our, food or agriculture and why don't we get to have farmers markets you know like that was a big thing for me and uh, and and me being on my location of the highway and before compliance and all this and it was all really laid out for us i thought that i had these other farms and i thought that my place would be like a tasting room right and that most wine labels they have to have their little like tasting room in napa to to to, to direct sell to the consumer um but other if they want to sell to a store they have to go through a distributor so having that like that storefront in the trendy part of town and to be able to welcome people and do direct tastings and direct that's like a major part of their business and i really felt like I would have some advantage being on the highway and then I would be able to do that. And I was like, kind of like, can't understand why they didn't allow us to do that. Um, and cookie, you know, I up the street from me and there's cookies and that's a consumption lounge. And so they're, they're doing that a little bit, but I really, you know, it seems like the wine industry, for one thing, we compete with the Russian we send the eel river sends a lot of our water to the russian river and it's the wine industry that's really fighting us for the water so i think that the cannabis industry up here gets a little bit like i feel like the wine industry has kind of come after us hard about that water and so we get a little bit apprehensive and engaging there is a um like a conference the wine and weed symposium but that's like not really anything I've that interested in being a part of because it's just like a bunch of like snobby schmoozy people <laughs> that don't you know it's like I don't I mean maybe I should go because it's a tourism thing and I need to like engage more in that but I definitely have met a lot of people since we've gotten like more into the KNF thing that are interested in ferments for sure and have a lot and have given me a lot of um, feedback on ferments and really and, and understand those applications better you know the, the winemakers the vintners you know understand those applications and that that science better than the cannabis growers so that has been a little bit of crossover but that's been really casual for me just like meeting somebody who is a winemaker you know we've definitely and just having a casual conversation it wasn't really like a big exchange but we we do have a brewery in it's in Shelter Cove, which is like 30 miles west um, from the highway. And a lot of people have tried to get like their spent grain. And for some reason, it's like, it won't work for us. Like there's, I, I don't remember what it is, but it was like, everybody was like trying to like, can we get your spent grain? Can we? And it was like, 
whatever they do, like they were saying it didn't work either that, or they didn't want to give it away. I can't tell what it was, but we were like, yay, we have a My guess is that because like the coup would be on here. He'd be like, dude, that's bent grain is fine. I don't know why it would be bad. Like barley and oats probably like what would be wrong with that? Yeah. I don't know. Did they bless yeah. it with like a voodoo curse or something? Maybe. I, think the the <laughs> I wish there was more um, crossover and support. You know, I wish it's weird. It's like, we're not competing with each other. It's almost like the wine industry is like, we're losing customers to the cannabis industry. Fuck you guys or something, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, it has to be on like, on like a real casual mix up of like being at an event or a party or something for me, it's hard for me to like, for the, for them to take, us cannabis growers from Humboldt that seriously because it's just a different crowd you know that's what I've heard about the whole like brewery and and maybe also winery scene like up here apparently wineries sue the the cannabis farms because they say like the cannabis farms are gonna stink up their grapes and there's like a lawsuit basically some guy in the Willamette Valley is literally suing like a nearby cannabis farm uh and then uh, the breweries are constantly trying to lobby against uh, any cannabis interest because like you say they figure uh, a joint in your hand is a beer out of your hand or something right and just it seems to me that it's just it's it's so silly you know what I mean like would the beer companies lobby the cheese manufacturers because they think the salty cheese is going to keep you from drinking or something I I don't know you know what I mean like it just seems dumb to me that that is like a thing it is really interesting, the continued discrimination that we face, you know, and I really was like, man, I thought, you know, coming into compliance was going to relieve us of that, or that we would get some, like, some respect, but it has been kind of dismissed in a way as far as like, and, and I know that it really has a lot to do with that water. You know, they know that if we become as big of an industry as them, which we already are, that we're just not, you know, we're not as established. We don't have the lobbyists. We don't have all of that, um, you know, foothold in the capital. So but they know that we're at the headwaters of that and that we could really decide to not give it to them because we're there first you know i don't know exactly how the the water laws and i've had to register my own spring here and luckily this property comes with a came with a spring that had never been registered and so i was able like learning the water laws and riparian rights and all of that stuff my sister owns a property where she shares a water company and she's at the headwaters it's very complicated and super heated it really can turn neighbors against each other. And so if it can turn neighbors against each other, it can certainly turn industries against each other. And, you know, I'm right now, I really just try to stay in the court of like, let's get together. Like, I, I don't know if it's naivete of me to like insulate myself in a bubble of like people who are just learning about cannabis and like just really novice and not like jaded by it right now. Like, I don't want to surround myself with people who are like, Oh man, this compliance is killing me. Like I'm tired of hearing that. And I, and it's, it's not that I don't acknowledge that that's happening around me, but for me to perpetuate any type of like hope and positivity, like I have to engage with someone on a, on a positive level, you know? And I, it would be cool to have, you know, I've definitely, I've actually gone to a pairing though, where they're like pairing the food and the, the weed and the wine together. That was really early on in all of this, like cannabis culinary stuff. And that was like, you know, we bought like a fancy dinner and we got to go around and taste all these pairings. And so I think stuff like that might catch on, 
but it's still the the way that the regulations are made we can't it's a really hard to promote at an event like that you know it's just it's hard like for us you know to in order to have consumption in an event we're supposed to have like the alcohol like 200 yards away or something like that in a fence <laughs> it's like you know it's like we can't have the cannabis and the wine together oh, they have, to be like yep. have the pope yeah, call in personally <laughs> yeah <laughs> We had a question from chat. Um, uh, as far as your microbes, how often are you using uh, your teas? Have you had any negative impact with over application? And to what degree do you, have you seen the teas change your microbiology in your soil? The cheese, like, or as he means the, the, the liquid, the, the labs, not, is this oh. the cheese? No, not no, applying the, the, the teas you're saying you use different teas <laughs> thinking the lab cheese <laughs> that's funny oh, yeah. no cheese, maybe cheese too <laughs> no, you, you, you can include that so it's interesting i did at one point like got distracted and left my hose on a plant and so i mix it's like four gallons of tea to a 50 gallon drum of water, right? And I, you know, I take it right from the bubbler, right? And I administer it immediately. Well, something happened to where I left, I like set the hose down and didn't turn off the ball valve. And when I came back, I'm like, oh shit, that whole 50 gallons just like went on that one plant, you know? And I, I watered, I like tried to flush a little bit and I was like, fingers crossed, like, oh, it's just tea, it's fine. Well, that plant ended up looking like it had chlorosis and nearly tip burn it didn't like it definitely and it turned like purple and i was like oh good like that is active because there's time like i said it's so minimal what i'm doing i'm like how much how much nutrients am i really putting out through this tea well showing that i dumped a whole 50 gallons on it on like one little hugel and the hugel mound is pretty you know it's two and a half feet tall there's a lot of like spongy mass in there to that i would think would absorb it but that plant definitely reacted and that was an observation like hey my tea has stuff in it <laughs> you know like oh that tea what is putting is distributing things and i know now like yeah cannot i i wouldn't call it a burn it didn't look like nitrogen burn but it almost did look like a nitrogen burn uh, and it was just 50 gallons on one and the plant was probably already like six feet tall and four feet wide so that was my one thing I was like, that plant's big enough. It can eat it, you know, like, oh, it can take it. And, and I was able to, it flowered perfectly. It was just, it turned purple way before the other ones did. And it, and it first turned, um, chlorotic, you know, like almost like a magnesium deficiency. <laughs> this is what it looked like. And so that was, you know, that, well, that was an, an instance where I was like, uh oh, too much tea. <laughs> So yeah, ever, uh, my, my initial, this earlier in the... my first oh, sorry, reaction. I'm going to talk over you. Go ahead. I, I was just saying my first reaction was to leach it out, was to add more water. That and, Yeah. Go, go ahead. 
Oh, I was uh, hopefully less dumb question. Uh, it often comes up in the chat. And I know uh, there was a version of this, basically fungal uh, versus uh, bacterial teas. I don't know. I'm just curious. Do you ever pay attention to or do you are you mindful of the fungal versus bacterial dominance in any of your soil or tea or anything else? I'm 100 uh, percent like aware of that because very early on, um, at one of the first farms I went to, we got a, I have to think about this for a minute. We got a soil test back and it was like super high in sulfur and also super high in calcium and my pH. And afterwards I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like I couldn't add but I couldn't add gypsum. I couldn't add, it was like, I had too much calcium that the things that I would normally do to balance that it was lime or gypsum, you know, at that time, that was what I was doing. This is like 10 years ago. And I like learning more. I realized that I had a bacterial dominated soil at that time. And that it was like the back. It, and that's why like my soul, it was like crazy off the charts. Like, and even the, so they were like, what is going on here? And at that time we would brew like 300 gallons of tea at a time. And I never, because it was such a big stock tank and it was like where it was, I would always leave like the bottom of that tank, like with the bottom of a 300 gallon tank is like, you know, 30, 50 gallons, 60 gallons, maybe depending on how much you leave in there. So I was like, basically like reintroducing my tea with <laughs> an anaerobic situation every time. And also not administering it that fast. Like there were times I'd brew it and let it like brew for an entire day. And I'd get those like long strands of stuff in the tea. And I, like to me that I knew once I realized what I was doing, I was like that it explained that soil test to me in my mind. And I could still have a misunderstanding of that, but in my mind that was like, Oh, that's why that was happening. And for me with these wood chips, like, my hugel mounds used to they were young and so they were just like eating material like i mean i would have these like big like saddlebacks and like you know my plants would nearly list over and i realized that when i started adding tons of wood chips like the soil actually slowed down and, and like disappearing like i don't know what was going on there but it was like whatever was happening with those with the Hugo Mountain like formation and, and breakdown, it was just like disintegrating soil. Like I would, I would, I would um, overseed them in the winter with ryegrass to try to keep the soil like on them and then hay. And then, because it was like, it would fluff off. They were at such a, like a, like a, the mound was so steep that everything was sloughing off and I'd end up with these saddlebags. So I feel like once I really introduced the wood chips, on a regular and like on a massive, like I'd probably put out 20 yards in my 2000 square foot space a year. And that I started, that's when I got that really thick, thick layer between the wood chips and the soil of that like mat that I can just lift up. And there's just, you can, it's visible fungal hyphae and it's like spongy. That to me is when the soil stopped disappearing. Like it slowed, it was like my Hugo mounds were eating the soil. So instead I fed them the wood chips and the soil started appearing rather than disappearing. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. yes. At all? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, is that so, one of your favorite? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, is that one of your favorite kind of, um, I don't know, amendments these days? Because it's so easy to get wood chips. I was thinking, you know, like a lot of times you just call somebody for wood chips. But I mean, there's so many other things too, leaves or whatever. Like, what do you like? It's oak. leaf mold and stuff are you saying so when i one of my very first jobs out of college was working at a water conservation demonstration garden and that i think has kind of set the framework of this my demonstration garden that i have and in they would have all these like little vignettes of comparisons and like a garden with no mulch or a garden that at that time they were using like examples of like rubber mulch really like literally chop up tires and put it down or they would give it it's like rubber mulch weed mat wood chips you know and it was like the wood chips garden was like flourishing like used so much less water and so I that was 17 years old when I worked at that and we our college class helped install it so it was like a really big like I've always known that mulch is a huge factor in a successful landscape. When I was in Florida, I had a landscape installation company and always the homeowner would want to nix like the $5,000 of mulch because in their mind, it was like, didn't have, a, it was just aesthetics and didn't have a purpose. And I didn't have to tell them like, you need mulch. <laughs> and I feel like I've been on this mulch kick forever. And people are like, oh, it, I'm like, it really is that simple. Like the wood chips and those microbes, like it, for one thing, it insulates it the soil, you're not, the sun's not beating those microbes. You're not getting drastic temperature change. You're not getting a bunch of evaporation, you know, but really a lot of the times I feel like it's the sun, you know, I, I cringe when I see people go rake leaf mold or leaf litter out of the forest and then go use it as a mulch in the blazing hot sun. I'm like, you just killed all of those. <laughs> like, they can't make it from the forest floor to the hot field you know it's like to me I I feel like you know it's it's sometimes people get caught up in the act of something and don't really understand like the tiny minute things that are happening and why and that's really why we're doing it we're doing it for the things we can't see you know it's not like oh cool I got my this mulch from this forest it's like you know it's it's really like you're introducing those microbes and so therefore you want to keep those microbes alive <laughs> by not scorching them in the sun and letting them dry out <laughs> you know so how would so you do that if you it, wanted to collect let's say uh you know a lot of people a friend of mine that comes on the show is down in arizona so it's you know scorching hot down there if he were to collect something would he then uh, compost it or how would he safely bring that to his uh, grow so with the imo collection you're actually like putting it in stasis kind of right i don't know if that's the correct scientific name for it but you know you're cultivating it and you're stabilizing it and then you're administering it without like taking it from an unstable situation um so i think that's if you want to get those forest microbes the best way to do it is to do an imo box and go through all the way to imo3 but if somebody was going to collect leaf litter like for me if i do that for like my tea i do it in the morning when it's still cold and I will make sure that I'm then covering that leaf litter with hay. So it's, it's like, for me, it's a late, it's a, it's a uh, layering tons and tons of layering. Like, and when you look at my Hugel mounds, it's wood chips on the ground, like all around the edge, wood chips cut uh, touch the ground. And then on the top of it, it's hay. 
So it's like, I will have often lots of different type of mulch going on. If I see an area of my Hugo mountain that is getting the saddle back or I'm having like a low place, I pack that with leaf litter and then I cover it with hay. You know, it's like I'm trying, or I get small stems and like pack a hole, you know, I'm, my Hugo mounds are four years old. That's still very young for a Hugo mound. So I'm still having to constantly, what I call recharge them, you know, and I make sure that if I do it, I water those, uh, that I make sure it's moist. I water it and I cover it with hay. So the sun's not beating on it. And it can be, it doesn't have to be thick hay. It can just be like, just give it a little bit of break. <laughs> so it's not just like dry and sun and in the middle of the day. You know, gardening has always been any agriculture. It's like we're all farmers are early risers. And it's a lot of it's because that's when the plants are at their peak, you know, and that's when we observe the most and we can plan the rest of the day around those observations we made in the early morning. So for me, it's like that early morning stuff is for real. Oh, yeah, the early morning scouting session is, is critical for sure. Uh, um, yeah. So a lot of people um, uh, don't know what it's like to grow in the you know traditional Emerald Triangle. Do you, is there anything else you want to tell people about maybe growing in that region that has such a historic uh, you know um, importance for the for the industry? Well, you know when I talk to the old timers, they talk about shade grown. You know, like they were hiding their stuff. Stuff was shade grown. They would pile up leaf litter. They'd bring one bag of chicken shit one bag of studsman's is all those plants got <laughs> they, you know it was like they were hiking that stuff out and to me that kind of lets me like then we moved indoors not because we wanted to grow better weed and and i say we i wasn't part of it but i didn't come here then and they moved indoor not because they wanted to grow better weed it was because they were hiding from the helicopters and then when everything went back outside again in 215 they kind of took those those indoor practices and applied them to the field, forgetting that, hey, it, it was growing okay, you know, and of course we've all gotten better, but for us to like really negate all of that history and, and like sometimes we don't value like the old timers experience enough. We don't hear their stories, you know, and, and to hear how, how, they did it with one bag of chicken shit and leaf mold, you know, and they would hike in their water. I think that's, you know, a good reminder that oftentimes we overthink things with plants. You know, I work at a nursery two days a week. The one thing that people do to their plants is overwater it. And that's because they think that they're helping it, but they're drowning their plant. You know, it's like we, I, I like to really observe rather than control and um, I think the Emerald Triangle with our, you know, choice weather, we are able to observe what a plant may do without giving it a controlled and an artificial environment. And not a lot of places, there are states that have outlawed outdoor completely, that any, any legal cannabis that's grown needs to be grown indoors. And, you know, that's why I, I like to include indoor growers in like in a more and the re, not regenerative. I forget what the term is that they called it for. Do you remember what they deemed? It was like nice grown or something of the dim pure for the for the indoor growers. But I for me, it's like we're so lucky to have this beautiful outdoor environment that we can still grow plants 
out in the sun, no cover. And that is going to create a lot of diversity in the outcome because it's not controlled and it's not um, the same every time. And I think that's really what we have a lot to learn from because all the new, you know, most of the new places that's so the programs are so dialed that they don't get a lot of variation. So therefore they're not getting discovery and surprises and, you know, like uniqueness. I, for me, I don't want the same crop every year. I'm not trying to turn out the same exact product every year. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to find what nature has presented me and I'm like thankful for it, you know, instead of trying to like dial it so tight that I know exactly what the outcome is going to be. And if it's not what I thought it was, I'm pissed, you know, like that. I don't want to, I don't want to grow that way. And I know not everywhere has the opportunity to just observe and let nature take its course. And I feel like that's our biggest asset really is to be able to really bring to market a very unique product that nowhere else can produce you know and one thing about my garden i didn't realize how um, narrow the appellations of origins um guidelines and and regulations would be and like i've found that there's very 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 few farms growing in native soil with no barrier to the sun most everybody went mixed light which and that kind of like gets them out of the program. There's not very many farms that will be able to get the appellations of origins and they're really mad about it, but it's like, you can't get a terroir if you're, if you're not allowing nature to express itself, if you're interfering by controlling its environment completely, you know, so no, you don't get that stamp. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I feel like that's, you know, we're lucky. I just feel so grateful, you know, thank you for letting me speak tonight. Yeah, thank you. And um, uh, why don't you tell uh, everybody, uh, I don't want to take up any more of your evening. You've given us uh, uh, quite a while. I know you got a, a munchkin and a, and a farm to tend to. Um, uh, why don't you tell everybody how to find you? Uh, I'll throw your uh, Instagram and stuff up here again on the, on the screen in case people want to follow all the awesome work that you're doing. Or maybe, uh, or tell them uh, maybe you know, if you're interested in, in talking about your your uh your glamping and stuff like that as well you're welcome to to mention that too so um i'm five sisters farms with an s at the end um on instagram and i do have a website that just went up five sisters farm dot co dot co um, my original instagram that has like a lot more of my history on it is born seasoned s-e-a-s-o-n-e-d um, I'm right on the Humboldt County line, the Mendo Humboldt County line um, on the 101. I list through Hip Camp. Um, the bell tent's called the Blue Bell Dream Tent. And so you can book a farm stay. If anybody has any ideas or a subject that they would like to attend a workshop on, I'm always open to, you know, I don't facilitate the workshops. I just host them. So if you have somebody or if you want a workshop that you want to teach or there's something that, or even at like a, a company retreat, you know, this, this place is open for events like that. And it's a really unique experience. There's not a lot of camp grounds that have a regenerative cannabis farm right in the middle of it so <laughs> it's pretty fun and i you know i'm i hope people have a chance to come check it out for themselves i think it's really I cool can't... 
people don't often get a chance to kind of immerse themselves in that type of experience. I think it's really cool um, that, that you have a, that you host that. Yeah, it's been unique and it was really nice to get validated through the Humboldt County Economic Development Department to, and receive that grant. You know, a lot of times people, this is, this is one takeaway people can have. People told me it would be many, many years before I could do this. People told me nobody would want to come to Humboldt. People said nobody wants to see a tiny garden like that, you know, and it has, if you read my reviews, it's like, uh, there's a, you know, of course, always a couple bad reviews on hip camp, but from the tours and Humboldt cannabis tours, it is amazing. And so I just stuck with it. I didn't care what anybody said and I knew that I had something really unique to offer and I opened my doors and it's been a wonderful experience so you know just even if somebody tells you it's a dumb idea I I suggest that you know I I know I would have regretted not trying it and I'm so glad that I did awesome it's been way more rewarding than I could have ever imagined or is not in not in comparison to the human interaction. And I also wanted to mention that you're, you're one of the key people to help make sure that everything goes off without a hitch there for the Humboldt Regenerative Conferences. I know uh, you're always there uh, helping make sure everything goes smoothly and busting your ass to make sure that, that you know, we have a good time. And uh, I just wanted to thank you for that. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, you're definitely one of the people that helps make a lot of that stuff happen out there in Humboldt. Yeah, Community is important, and I was so proud. To- Go ahead. Sorry. I appreciate you very much. I do appreciate you as well. Um, awesome. So um, uh, is there anything else you wanted to say before we uh, let you go? I just wanted to mention that there, you know, for that fire relief um, fund auction tomorrow, I know every, it's hard times for everybody, but just take a look because there's some, there's little things too. And it would be a way that you could come get a, a two night stay while also supporting another cause. So that's a cool thing. And the auction starts tomorrow. So I'd love to see that project get, you know, um, supported. So I appreciate everyone listening. And like I said, if there's a workshop you want to do, let me know. I'm totally, I'm really approachable and I'm all ears because this is a new project for me. It's in its infancy and I want to know how I could best serve the community. And so I need some feedback on that. You know, I'm, I, I welcome the um, feedback. You're muted, Steve. Ah, that's great. Um, so uh, if you're listening to this in audio format, um, the, the website for that is www.humboldtgrace.org backslash fire hyphen recovery uh, for the, uh, the website for that. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Season. Uh, I was certainly glad to have you on. We wanted to have you on for quite a while, and uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I hope I can see you at the Regent Conference, and if not there, somewhere soon. It's nice to see your face, so, and thank you, 
the other host. I, it was good to meet you. Thanks for listening. Nice to meet you. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Take care. Well, that was a, a lot of fun having a, a Dem Pure and a, a regenerative farmer. We don't uh, always get a chance to talk to a lot of uh, different uh, regenerative farmers, so it's always fun to have them on the show. Uh, Fumi, what's uh, what's up with you? Uh, what's new with you and your garden and uh, and your shows? <laughs> of course, I cough as soon as I have to talk. <laughs> um, not a whole lot's new with the garden. the The shows, uh, no, the shows going well. I've been saying, uh, what have I been saying? I've been trying to. <laughs> of course, I have to cough. <laughs> Hold on a second. Here you at? <laughs> well, apparently, I've been talking too much. Evidently, so that's 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 one of those things. Evidently, we talk too much on the shows. I know we're having uh, good shows. Uh, uh, what, what can I say? Apparently I'm stoned now too. So, uh, we're going to have a show on Saturday. I'll say that we're, we're having uh, bruising buds. Uh, by the way, you know, speaking of, uh, my random question to you, like, Oh, is there an integration with wine? I'm always trying to integrate on my show on Saturday, bruise and buds. Uh, we're always trying to integrate a little bit, the cross section between, you know, craft beer and, and food and everything else in cannabis. Realistically, we basically just talk about, you know, fun stuff and growing, but, uh, we like to, be high-minded about uh, trying to integrate cannabis and beer and everything else. So, I probably should smoke less before I talk at the end of the show. That's cool. That's <laughs> that sounds like a fun subject that it would be easy to get people um, on board with that. But what state are you in? Uh, I'm in Oregon. What state? Oregon. Okay. Yep, not far. Nope, not far. Are you guys experiencing hardships? Pardon? There, with the prices. Are you experiencing the same hardships with the prices and everything? I'm not a commercial farmer, but I think they are. Uh, uh, pretty much all the stories that I've heard have been stories of woe. So yeah, I think everything's pretty good. I don't know. How do I say? Uh, I'm not super in touch with that scene. So. But. Okay. Well, and I guess I try because everything's so woeful i try to keep it kind of lighthearted, hmm. and you know and so i hope i wasn't too whimsy for you guys i know i know steve's hard science so that's <laughs> oh, um, a fun guest we have a uh, what was his name Hot rock super joint who's basically like a, a 80s shock jock uh, cannabis activist he's pretty crazy so we get all kinds of crazy people on the show there. and not crazy people but like all the different types of aspects I, of the cannabis culture. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I did want to mention here before we wrap up the show, uh, once again, the uh, second annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference uh, being held here on uh, November 13th and 14th. We got myself, uh, Sweetwater Aquaponics out of South Africa. They'll be joining us live from South Africa. Hopefully, I think at that time, we'll still have enough light there for them to show off the farm. Uh, symbiotic uh, or symbiosid they're out of switzerland um, so that'll be really cool uh, they're one of the only commercial aquaponic cannabis growers in switzerland uh, aquilitas out of canada dragonfly earth medicine out of bc and oregon um, thumb genetics uh, matthew gates uh, the uh, ipm specialist uh, thumb genetics is the um, uh, one of the commercial uh, aquaponic cannabis producers out of michigan uh, caleb talking to us about copy left uh, cultivars 
Um, Caleb has good weed, by the way. Uh, I got to smoke his weed the other day. at uh, uh, We had a little impromptu sesh. Really good uh, grower. Sorry to interrupt. Awesome. Um, Chris Trump, uh, KNF expert. Uh, we have a commercial cultivation panel with a super cool moderator that we got lined up for that. I think you guys will like it. Um, we have uh, Dr. Wilson Leonard from Australia. We have uh, Dylan McAmmond, who's uh, ex currently expanding his aquaponic cannabis facility up in Canada. Uh, we have Wendy Kornberg, who is, uh, uh, does all kinds of awesome education with cannabis. Uh, we have Quan Kam Fem from Vietnam, who's a really cool um, KNF specialist who's been working a lot with liquid IMO ferments and a bunch of other cool ideas that are a little bit different than a lot of traditional uh, KNF methodology. And I think you guys will learn a lot from him uh, if you're soil or aquaponic growers. Uh, we have breeder Steve uh, on the show, who's been the uh, oldest running aquaponic cannabis grower in terms of documentation. We have uh, Angela Tenenbrock, who's the um, uh, really awesome uh, food safety expert. She's going to talk to us about biosecurity and, and different ways to help you with your commercial facilities. Victor Labanov uh, from Sweden. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about uh, microbiology and aquaponics. We have Joe Pate uh, talking to us about uh, standardization of aquaponic methodologies. Um, uh, Tanner Stewart from Canada. They have a commercial aquaponic cannabis facility up there. Uh, we have Dutch Blooms, who has an incredible living soil and aquaponic facility um, uh, up in Washington. Uh, we have Kevin McKernan talking to us about the genetics of the soil microbiology. We have um, Rob Nash uh, from Austin Aquaponics has been growing hash, uh, or, not hash, he's been growing uh, uh, hemp in uh, Texas for the past three years. So that'd be really cool in aquaponics. We have Clackamas Coot talking to us about soil science. We got Dr. Robert Faust talking to us about um, uh, humic and fulvic acids and kelp extracts. We have Murray Hollum talking to us uh, from Australia about aquaponics uh, and aquaponic uh, commercial systems. We have um, a homegrown panel with a cool uh, guest um, moderator, same thing with the craft grown panel, and then Marty to close us out. So it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, it'll be free and live uh, from this same YouTube channel at Potent Ponics. Just so, saying, Rob Nash grows that hash. That's not a bad slogan. Right? Rob Nash grows the hash. Come for the hash, stay for the Nash. <laughs> Got a restaurant attached to the dispensary. Yeah. <laughs> Figures that I don't have to cough. Make an ash, you know, the, the ice right, cream. Right, right, right. Burn some hash and make, an, make it an ash next to the ash. Uh, we're getting yeah, we're running we're too far already. Yeah, we've gone too far. There's a limit. All right. Well, um, uh, why don't you tell everybody how to find you there for me and we'll wrap up the show. Now that I don't have to cough, I'll probably have to cough as soon as I say this. Uh, come find me over on my channel, Fumador and the Flavors. You can watch our uh, my podcast or our podcast or whatever, whatever you call the podcast that I run. Uh, Chronic Table, go look us up on, uh, I don't know why I keep saying us, because it actually is my podcast. I'm, I'm apparently saying the royal we right now. But anyway, uh, well, that's true. You're on there. There we go. Us. Uh, Chronic Table on uh, podcasts, uh, platforms of your choice, iTunes, Spotify, stuff like that. Uh, go check out my website, fumidoro.com or alternately fumesofgold.com. They go to the same place. And uh, other than that, cheers, guys. Fumi has some of the nicest uh, photographs for a genetic yes, preservation kit website that's out there. They're really nice. He's a photographer and it really is some pretty awesome pictures on his website. So definitely check that out. And then uh, also be checked out. Uh, be sure to check out Seasons 
um, information and, and awesome educational stuff, as well as her, uh, her tent and everything else that she has out there and her educational classes at her farm uh, over at Bourne's, uh, at Bourne Season on Instagram, uh, at Five Sisters Farms underscore HWY101 uh, on Instagram and fivesistersfarms.co uh, in order to uh, uh, check out all of her awesome stuff. Uh, and um, you can check myself out over at, uh, uh, oh, also check out, uh, I did an episode yesterday on the um, Future Cannabis Project, kind of a 101 for um, aquaponics. Uh, so definitely check that out over on Future Cannabis 2. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was about two hours long and uh, answered a lot of really cool uh, beginner questions and kind of overview of, of aquaponics. Uh, and then you can also check us out over at apmjclass.com for Marty and I's educational classes. Uh, apmjnutes.com if you need nutrients uh, for your aquaponic systems. We have all that there. Just put in the size of your system and, uh, and we'll get you all straightened out. Uh, and um, thanks everybody for watching. You can find us on the Growing With Fishes podcast and your favorite podcast app, SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, uh, all the things. And we'll catch you guys again.